Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery+. Plus. For more deep dive and daily business content, listen to Wondery, the destination for business podcasts. With shows like How I Built This, Business Wars, and many more, Wondery means business. One thing that I appreciate is that you guys were always good sports about following me on my various health journeys. Oh my gosh, look at Kim Davis. <laughs> don't, don't look that like was... Don't roll your eyes. <laughs> my friend, you've been looking so weary. You say you're fine, but I know you're not clearly. Why don't you breathe a little bit with me? I don't know what's going on, but I know when something's wrong. Ooh, why don't you put a little faith in me? Hi, I'm Michelle Obama, and this is the Michelle Obama Podcast. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about friendship. Well, hey, you all. Hey, girl, hey. (laughs) (laughs) For this conversation, I thought it might make sense to bring in some of my closest girlfriends. Everyone's off. I'm going to just turn this. My phone's over there. You know what? Let me just make sure. I know I turned mine off. Crazy. You make them crazy. (laughs) You'll probably recognize one of them, and that's Sharon Malone, who I'm so glad to have back on the podcast. We are also joined by our good friends, Danielle Pemberton Hurd and Kelly Dibble. Hi, I'm Danielle. Hi, I'm Kelly. Hello, and this is Sharon. Now, these three have all got great careers in medicine, business, and public affairs, and I met each of them at various points of my life. We got into all that during the episode, so I won't spoil it here. As it always does when we're together, the conversation ends up in a number of different places. It's a pretty good window into what I love about my girlfriends. We can reminisce, we can talk and laugh with each other at each other's stories, but most of all, we can talk about the important stuff. What's going on in the world, in our families, Whatever we're thinking about, really, we're just there for each other when it counts. For a laugh, for a hug, for whatever we need. Now, the four of us recorded this conversation not long after the police killing of George Floyd. And so all those feelings, grief, anger, outrage, were top of mind. We're in the midst of not only a pandemic, but, you know, we have just uh, we just witnessed a, a murder of a black man in public. And I know that we talk about race as a group of friends all the time. There's a level of pain and frustration, you know, just fatigue with being black in America. How are you all thinking about 
these things. We were, Sherry and I were talking about this on the way over about we just witnessed a murder by suffocation. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah. black people, are you okay? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Yeah. Right. And oh, by the way, continue working and yeah. Can you now draw up a diversity and inclusion right. plan? Yeah. yeah. And it's we just like unreal. You kind of get tired of being the fixer. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone looks to you. I mean, you can relate to that. Everyone looks to you in the party to fix it. What yeah. What is Michelle doing? What is she saying? What is she going to do? Can she fix it and bring people together? And people are looking to us in our respective roles to do the same thing. And you're just tired. You're mm-hmm. trying to, you know, maintain your sense of self, you're trying to hold up your family. You've got kids that are frankly traumatized because Mm -hmm. as Kelly said, they've watched on live television, someone suffocate someone with their hand in their pocket, looking at a camera and knowing in their heart that nothing's going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. And that's a very scary thing for these kids to process. And you're trying to be there for them, but also be there for the young people that you work with, the Mm -hmm. people you lead. A lot of people look to us as Mm -hmm. now senior people in our lives, not just as mothers, but uh, as mentors. And everybody like, it feels like everybody lays this at sort of the feet of, of, and I'll say black women, you know? It's like, make us feel better, help us understand. You know, it's almost as if, you know, these concerns that we have and knowing what goes on in the community with young black men, young black women for that matter, mm-hmm. we've all known it and you feel it and we process it when we send our children out there in the world. But then there's been this, people don't believe you, mm-hmm. you know, they think, oh, you're just being overly sensitive or, you know, it's not really like that. That was years and, ago. And when you say people, you mean white people. I do. Our yes. white friends, do. our white colleagues. Well, you know, I, I, do, I do. Because people who don't experience this in their lives. And even when you see it, there's still an asterisk. Well, it wasn't really what you saw. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't believe, don't believe your lion eyes. You know mm-hmm. that's kind of the story of Black America being gaslit for forever, just simply because no, 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 that didn't happen that way. He was resisting. She was, you know, or they were imperfect, and therefore mm-hmm. they they deserve what happened to them, or somehow it diminishes the horror of what happened to them. Well, and the other thing too is you know this. Um, are you working in a corporate setting and where everyone's well-educated and they think, well, this is something that doesn't happen within, you know, our purview. I mentioned on a call that I had last week with my legal group about an incident in Central Park where a woman who uh, was walking her dog, dog was out on a leash. She was a University of Chicago Booth graduate, so smart woman felt threatened by a black man who said, put oh, your this, dog on was this the bird yeah. This is the, the, the bird watching. Yes. And who was a Harvard grad, mm-hmm. and he was a bird watcher. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about two people who are both very well educated. So it's not an, an issue around ignorance, mm-hmm. you know, where prejudice is just limited to the ignorant. These are two well-educated people. But her perception of him was a black man who was attacking her, and she knew that she could call the police knowing that anything could happen afterwards, right? But she was willing to bring that on mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because he says something to her yeah. about yeah. well, she daughter. she weaponized. And so yeah, he, she, she weaponized, weaponized and she knew that she could do it. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost we're going back to I don't know. I mean, you can look at Emmett Till, you mm-hmm. know, knowing that you as soon as you call foul, right, mm-hmm. with a black man to introduce the police, anything can happen, even the worst. Mm-hmm. But it was just it's not as dramatic as seeing a murder. But mm-hmm. the fact that she knew that she could bring harm to him mm-hmm. and, that the har- and that the police wouldn't question mm-hmm. her. That incident in Central Park, which infuriated all of us mm-hmm. as we watched it, it was not unfamiliar. I mean, this is what the white community doesn't understand right. about being a person of color in this nation is that there are daily slights. You know, in our workplaces where people talk over you or people don't even see you. I know, Danielle, you talked about uh, being in meetings with people who can see you as a professional, but then you step out into the street and those same people don't even see you. Yeah, I've had it several times where I've presented to uh, members of my team, people that I've worked with, peers, go downstairs in the elevator, go out to lunch and they walk right by you on the street. You're standing in line next to them at Sweetgreen, and they look right through you. They assume they don't know you, um, they have no use for you, and yet you just help solve their legal problem or help make them some money or save them some money. But then when you're out in the world, you're just an invisible person. Danielle and I, when the girls were little, this is when I was first lady. Mm-hmm. I am Michelle Obama, the first lady of the United States. Of America. Of America. (laughs) And we had just finished taking the girls to a soccer game. We were stopping to get ice cream. And I had told the Secret Service to stand back because we were trying to be normal, trying to go in. It was Haagen-Dazs, wasn't it? Exactly, Haagen-Dazs. And there was a line. And once again, when I'm just a black woman, I noticed that white people don't even see me. They're not even looking at me. So I'm standing there with two little black girls, another black female adult. They're in soccer uniforms. And a white woman cuts right in front of us to order like she didn't even see us. And the girl behind the counter almost took her order. And I had to stand up because I know Danielle was like, well, I'm not going to cause a scene with Michelle Obama. <laughs> That's exactly right. I was like, mm-hmm. I do not so want So I stepped up and I said, excuse me, as if you don't see us four people standing right here. You just jumped in line. She didn't apologize. She never looked me in my eye. She didn't know it was me. All she saw was a black person or a group of black people, or maybe she didn't even see that because we were that invisible. I can tell you a number of stories like that when I've been completely incognito during the eight years in the White House, walking the dogs on the canal. canal. People will Mm -hmm. come up and pet my dogs, but will not look me in the eye. They don't know it's me. And it's, you know, what what white folks don't understand, it's like that that is so telling uh, of how white America views people who are not like them. You know, we don't exist. And when we do exist, we exist as a threat. And that, that's exhausting. You know, I I live, you know, uh, a rather diverse life, I Mm -hmm. think, you know, and I have white friends and I have my black friends Mm -hmm. that I've known, but very few of my white friends have black friends. 
Mm-hmm. Like I'm your only you black mm-hmm. friend. And I said, that's interesting. It's always amazed me that we've lived in Washington, D.C. for as long as we have. And I've been here for 30 years. And, I, and my husband and I will go to a party and it'll be like, Still just us. Just us, you know. <laughs> but it allows people to accept black people one by one because mm-hmm. it's you. I like you, but that doesn't change my view generally. Mm-hmm. I still feel how I feel about them. Them, you know, when they oh, well, those people and them. And somehow you have allowed me to be an Exception, honorary white person, right? mm-hmm. you know, because you get to be in the group, but you are not like, the rest it's of still them. like the talent of 10th. Yeah. You, know, you can't take the whole group. Mm-hmm. There's just no. like you've got some exceptions. And unless you're, you know, walking around with your title on your sleeve, they really don't distinguish mm-hmm. you from them. But this is also why my girlfriend group, while it is diverse, it has been so important for me to have black women <laughs> in my crew throughout my life professionally because there's just a certain relief that comes when you don't have to walk into your friend group and explain yourself. My group of female friends aren't calling me to say, what can I do? You guys are calling me to say, how you doing, girl? You know, let's talk. Let's roll back a bit and talk about how I met each of you because each of you represents a different phase in my particular development. But Kelly, we we met in city government, we but city government our friendship developed because we were pregnant the same time. <laughs> at the same time with Malia and Kelly has twin girls, right. born almost a month apart. Right. So July fourth and July twenty second. Mm-hmm. So the same month. Yeah. Um, so as a working mother, uh, the first thing was like, how do you balance, you know, your work life and motherhood? But the main thing was, what's the model of a mother? Mm-hmm. So part of it was getting the girls together for play days because we knew moms did that. Our kids <laughs> were six months year old, years old, sitting on the floor, back to back, and oblivious of each other. But we had each other, and yeah. it gave us a chance to, you know, have brunch, have a bottle of champagne, you know, and talk about what was going on in our lives and the adjustments we were making, you know, to our home life. You know, the responsibilities between husband and wife around mm-hmm. the kids, you know, and we and we progressed through, you know, soccer games and um, getting oh, museum birthday parties. birthday parties, you know, mm-hmm. where there was and we had summer babies. So we had like the first birthdays were crucial because, you know, they they survived <laughs> for all year. Right. It was a and big deal. Big deal. And, <laughs> and we were at. Hot. You were still at the condo on Everett, so yeah, you had the yeah. barbecue, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, for July Yeah, that's 4th. when you learn, you know, that when you have the the, big, the first big, because we, we all went through this, oh, we can organize this oh, birthday. My God. It's just oh, a birthday yeah. party oh, in the house, and I remember Barack going, we don't need to rent a facility, you no. know? It's like, why would we spend that money? Why don't we just do it ourselves? Right. And then you're exhausted. Exhausted. With food, and you got all these people and folding chairs. Oh, my God. That's that, right. We that did have, that, and we did Adam's <laughs> yeah, playground right. for our, the girls. <laughs> Girls first, and I still have pictures where everyone was. It was 
It must have been 100 degrees that mm-hmm. day. And people were just melting. That was the first and last at-home birthday. Yeah, yeah. That was well, it. You know <laughs> what you realize when you have a kid's birthday party? Oh, my God. You've got the parents. Right. Mm-hmm. So you've yes, got to yes. entertain and the children yeah. and the moms and the oh dads. And it's like, whoa, that wasn't quite what. But but, but for God's sake, don't leave them. Okay? Right. <laughs> right. Please, stay Whatever here and you watch do, your own stay child. Stay here. I'll you feed know, you. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword there. But that's like, where those little. <laughs> little uh, birthday party, see the Chuck E. Cheeses, oh the God. little, those, uh, you know, I would pay any amount of money oh, yeah. to go you know, to those To events. be able to go somewhere, pay somebody my gym. for two out, my yeah. gym, my gym. All you know, the, yeah. keep, they had that stuff right. organized, yes. and all it's you had to do out. was bring some pizza, and you would leave, wouldn't have to clean up, but we went through uh, a <laughs> range of those. Pizza in a goodie bag. That and was pizza all and good. That's all you needed. I always feel for these um, mothers, parents who try to do this stuff by themselves. Because let me tell you, our girlfriend group, when when our kids were infants, on all the way all up the way through, through teenagers, we, there was a group of mothers in Chicago, and we did everything together. When Barack was on the road, well, that was really your important. husband was and traveling. He was on the road for a long time. He was on he the was road in Springfield mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. ran for U.S. Yeah. Senate. But all of presence. us were in yeah. some state of professional need and having right, right. a group of women that we could call on right. on each other. Yeah. And yeah. just, you know, it wasn't like we were leaving our kids, but just having another adult in the room for the day that you could go. Is this working for you or just right. and and also with the girls? I mean, they still feel a comfort level almost with each just other. as a yeah. family, as mm-hmm. a cousin. You and know, extended, yeah. um, our girls see themselves more as cousins yeah. than they do. Well, I think all of our yeah. our kids because yeah. Danielle, we. You were one of my White House moms. I was the newbie. <laughs> you I was a newbie. newbie. I had no prior history <laughs> and just sort of. Um, you know, we came together really over the girls um, just by chance being um, in the same school mm-hmm. and then being assigned to the same basketball team. And I think <laughs> the first time I really reached out to you was, um, you know, the most important thing of a basketball game is snacks. And we <laughs> yes. were assigned randomly to be snack parents together. Mm-hmm. And I said, now, how do you serve snacks with the president and the first lady of the United States. How's the first lady make a Costco run? Right. (laughs) And I literally sent, you know, because again, in the early years, Mm -hmm. getting to you was through intermediaries. And I sent an email and said, you know, hi, I'm a parent at the school. We've been assigned to snack day. Um, And, you know, as I would with any parent, let's divvy it up and figure out what we're going to do. And um, the person who worked for you at the time said, oh, my gosh, thank goodness. Thanks for reminding us. It would have been really embarrassing to show to, up to, to show be up the without president snacks. and the first lady and no, not have snacks. No snacks. They would have <laughs> talked about me like I know. Yeah, they sure would have. You saved me. So <laughs> I I thought I was doing something. And what did you to, bring that day? You I thought brought, I was doing something. I was went it to nutritious? Trader Joe's. It was. It was nutritious. I went to Trader Joe's and got mm-hmm. those killer clementines. Oh, and yeah, I was very proud of myself. Good. What did we bring? Well, you guys showed up with um, coolers marked, you know, West Wing, President of the United States, brought in by armed men and wheeled up. 
um, wheeled <laughs> everything out, and um, you had a very diverse group of um, beverages, waters, Gatorades, oh, all, nice. all high-end stuff. Everything. Just well. your choice. So, just your right. choice. What would you your like? choice. <laughs> well, see, back in the day, it wasn't, like you said, I wasn't doing the Costco runs. Right. I would, <laughs> you know, go approach the White House chef, or and then they wouldn't know how to, like, just chill out, you know. If I brought cookies... They were freshly baked Oof. White House cookies, individually wrapped Ooh, with bows in yes. packages. And you're kind of going, oh, you know, these, this is kind of overboard. And even Sasha Malia would be like, why can't you just bring regular snacks? Why couldn't you just get some Chips Ahoy cookies and just right. bring them up? And it's like, I can't shop. Yeah. Well, and see, I was always the mom for getting snack day. So I'd be at the soccer game and I'm like, damn. I'm like, I said, like, like, Eric, Eric, okay, could you hold here? I'm got, I've got to run to the store and come back like, phew, yeah, I just like, got these. Yeah, I would so game. forget the snack. And, I, you know, it, and when you have three kids, three kids yeah, and right. it's like right. so many different directions people are going. And, you know, and I, I just remember being a mom and feeling and having to work. And I used to just have moments of just feeling just woefully inadequate, mm-hmm. you know, because there would be the mom who'd come in with home, the decorated cupcakes and whatever. And I'm like, is it I that day? Failing. Is right. it yes. Christmas? But was I supposed to bring those? It's like, did are you still playing soccer? <laughs> <laughs> it's still soccer season? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> More on the Michelle Obama podcast after the break. Hearing you talk about what it's like, what what it was like that first time when I invited Olivia over for a play date and you had to pick her up. So you have an appointed time to show up. It's not like, hey, I'll just get there and drop off whenever. No, no, can't do that. You have to have, you know, license, ID, et cetera. So they have all of your information down to your social security number. You pull into the gate. And then somebody's got to ask for that. I mean, that's right. the so other thing. You're going, so right. there are three or four exchanges <laughs> of getting all of this information just to drop your child off for a play date. So we get there. I drop Olivia off. Again, you don't get out of the car. You just let your child out of the car. Well, you said you went and got your car washed. Oh, oh, absolutely. I wasn't (laughs) going to roll up to the White House in a dirty car. So I got my car washed. I think I had my hair done and my nails done. I was not going up there looking raggedy. And I made sure that Olivia had herself together. So we go in. I drop her off. I'm told, please be back at 1. Again, at that time, we lived outside of the city. So I'm killing time in D.C. trying to, you know, just wait. And at about 12.30, I get the call. Restricted number. Hello? Um, Yes, is this Danielle Pemberton Heard? Yes. This is the White House calling, and I'm thinking, heart drop. What did she break? What did she do? What happened? I'll be right over. And they're like, no, no, no. Um, The first family would like for her to stay a couple of more hours. They're going to watch a movie. I'm like, oh, okay. So again, I'm driving around D.C., just went to CBS like three different times in different parts of the city. I'm like killing time. Red and all. And um, so then finally, at the appointed time, I go back 
to pick Olivia up, and suddenly I see security moving around, and I'm getting nervous. I'm like, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. I'm kind of standing back. And then this one comes popping outside, and she comes out, and she's like, hi. I'm like, oh, oh, oh hi, hi. And that was really like the first time that we talked one-on-one just quickly. But now thinking back and knowing you, it was like you were clamoring to get out of that house. Like you were just like, if there's an excuse for me just to go stand in the driveway, I will do so. Well, I also thought I am still a black mother, you know, so I figured this child had just been at our house. I know her mother would want to see me. You know, it's like I can't act like I can just have people's kids over and not know them. So I mm-hmm. thought, okay, Olivia's been in our house all day. I haven't even met her mother. I need to go down like a normal person and say, hey, she's safe. We aren't crazy. You've seen us <laughs> on TV, but you need to see us in the flesh. And I also need to see you. And so we started talking, and I thought, I like this woman. They are going to be friends. It was like me building up my posse here in D.C. It's like I need to have some other mothers who can help me in Sidwell, who I think we share the same values. You know, I just got a sense of Danielle that she wasn't playing around. Danielle was my first, like, real friend in D.C., Sharon, while our families are very close, I didn't meet you in parenthood. Um, We met each other in the realm of this political beast that would become our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk a lot about the first time we kind of connected across the table where I was like, your reaction to the situation was the same as mine. This, again, was before the presidency, but yeah. Barack was a U.S. senator. and Well, you know, it was one of these, you know, interminable D.C. dinners. And, you know, it's like and people are up and glad-handing and, you know, and D.C. is a big, who are you and why do I need to know you kind of town, you know, so we're there. I remember there was, and, and I, we won't call any names, but there are just people and just looking at how people react. And you know how you look across the table and not a word was said. You know, you look at someone's eye and you're like, okay, you know, I got it. And it was like this instant understanding of the situation. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, Sharon okay. was as done with this event <laughs> as I was. To put it, she's being kind. But I saw this look of doneness yeah. that, you know, where everybody else seems so excited to be yeah. there. And I was like, who is that woman that feels like me? I can see it in her face. I just want to know who she is. But when we, and but the first time we had really had a chance to have a real conversation was uh, when you were here. You were mm-hmm. first lady. You had, you, you had moved here and you were staying at the Hay Adams. Mm-hmm. And I get this call. And someone says, uh, I'm whatever, and I'm from Mrs. Obama's staff. And I was like, what? She says, would you like to have lunch? And I was like, I think I can make that work. And we had lunch. And we had a lunch, which 
you know, 12 to 1. What time did we finish? Like at 3? Well, that's when, <laughs> you know, that was when we were in the midst of the transition. And I would have these lunches because I said, I just need to meet people. I need right. to understand Washington. And so my staff would block out these, like, okay, you have an hour meeting with this person, an hour meeting with that person. So initially it was an hour meeting that they would usually, I usually be like, okay, this is over. But when Sharon and I sat down, it was just like, this is another me. And because Sharon's husband uh, was in my husband's administration, Eric Holder, let's just not beat around the bush. That's who your husband is. So you had been in this world for so much longer than I had been, and you were a professional in your own right. And that was something that I I saw. I was like, okay, this is a woman who still has a career, who is raising kids, whose husband is a big deal, but she's an even bigger deal in her own right. That's what really drew me to you is just your your attitude about this. But you you were unimpressed. But you you cared deeply. It was that you were straddling that fence that I so often straddled as mm-hmm. the wife of a mm-hmm. politician in a world where women are just sort of accessories. Right. <laughs> you were not an accessory. There's a lot about this life and particularly being connected to people that are very visible because you take it all on. Mm -hmm. You have your stuff that you're dealing with, with your family and your kids, and then you have to come home and try to figure out how to reconcile who your husband is with who this person you've just seen on TV or who you've had these articles and people have said these really horrible and terrible things. And it's, it's crushing. Both of our husbands had a different temperament for this. I mean, both of them, why they were good at what they did is that they didn't take a lot of that stuff on personally. Whereas you and I were left with all this emotional energy that you wouldn't want to put back on them because it wasn't phasing them. But we would, just being able to say out loud how hard it was, how hard, (laughs) hard this was to continue to try to find a space for yourself in this world when each of us was feeling wounded in a way that we couldn't talk about because we had to be strong. It's not just the fact that our husbands are are in the public eye, but I find that in all of us. Just all of us have been sounding boards to each other, just dealing with marriage in general. Sometimes it just, you know, you think you were just done with your husband. (laughs) You know, sometimes a good old conversation over pizza night or a glass of champagne brings you to a place of kind of, okay, this isn't so bad. With everybody here, it was a matter of us deciding, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you up. Exactly. Danielle, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna invite Olivia over. We're gonna sign up for something. Sharon, I'm gonna ask you to go to lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to plan, Kelly, mm-hmm. uh, the time to take our kids to go see Disney on ice. Right. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you have to put as much time and energy into cultivating those friendships, but that's something that women oftentimes aren't taught. Mm-hmm. You know, you all are the people that I can go to for, for just a, a gut check. 
too, because that's also the beauty of the diversity of my particular mm -hmm. girlfriends, because you all are uniquely yourselves. And I see myself differently in contrast to who you guys are. One thing that I appreciate is that you guys were always good sports about following me on my various health journeys. Oh my gosh, <laughs> look at Camp David. <laughs> don't, don't look that like, was... don't roll your eyes. <laughs> I mean, like, Camp David. That's, uh, <laughs> look. You know, what I called like uh, a spa weekend. It's a spa yeah. weekend. Well, yeah, that, well, <laughs> because the first one, the, the nice little um, binder that we got from oh, your yes. staff did call it a spa weekend. And it started with, of course, meeting at the White House and then being driven up to Camp David and where we first noticed that the traditional M&Ms and snacks that were in the cabins were no longer there. <laughs> well, after the first one, I had to put wine back on. <laughs> that was thanks okay. to Sharon. Okay, thanks thank you. Yes, we, thank you, Sharon. Sharon when so. I, because I missed the first one, and I remember when Mel sent me a thing, I said, oh, but what? No alcohol? I said, we're going to have to add some wine back. And they're like, okay. I know for me, I was always thinking about, okay, how do I get outside? Mm -hmm. So finding something that would get me out. And so skiing wasn't something I knew I grew up with. Danielle, you skied way more than I did. Mm -hmm. I grew up, yeah. But I thought, well, when it gets cold outside and we can't go for walks or go on the Potomac, it's like, well, what are we going to do? Um, so one year we went up to Camp David and Liberty Mountain mm -hmm. was really just a short drive mm -hmm. from Camp David. And so we started there on that on that hill. Um, the kids started learning there. I remember my agents, none of them could really ski. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not none that were on my detail. So everybody was taking these crash skiing courses uh, before we went skiing. But then we put it on our radar screen for every every winter. And we went to Vail, then we, we started Vail going to Aspen. Mm -hmm. And that's when we learned what a mountain was, or at least I learned what a mountain was. You could see the, the, the joy that you had when we were out on the mountain, because once you put on the ski helmet and the goggles, she's pretty anonymous, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the ability to sort of be out there and do your thing and be free and you're outside and we spend hours on the mountain. You start an hour down. early before mm -hmm. that. We'd go up an hour early. She starts out on Liberty Hill mm -hmm. and, you know, one year we go to Vail, the next year we're at Aspen Mountain and next thing I know, she's, you know, progressing through the hurdles, you know, lockstep with what we affectionately call her ski husband, um, <laughs> because he's the ski instructor that's sort of instructing her <laughs> as opposed to us, though we're in the group. And you just see that she's getting better and better. Secret Service, frankly, could not keep up. And there's this one time where we're taking this long run. She doesn't even know what's happening, right? Because she's at the front of the pack with the ski instructor. You've got all of these Secret Service agents skiing behind her, sort of flanking her and zigzagging, crossing themselves as we come down the mountain. And I sort of ski a bit behind her to give her room. Well, on this particular run, it was icy. She was flying down the mountain. One by one, agents started wiping out. 
one who will remain nameless because he got so much smack from the Secret Service <laughs> for wiping out because he was like her detail lead. Other people falling. You know, I'm looking at bulletproof vests and snow going up backs. You know, everyone's wiping out. And at one point I look, all of her agents are down and I'm still standing. And I yell to them, I got her, guys. I got her. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself now, if anyone need to do anything, we are sunk. But that's my girl. I'm on a trailer. I'll take a I'm going to do my best. If I have to take my ski off and slap someone upside the head, we're going to do it. For me, one measure of like finding my crew is not just sort of how do I relate to them, but are they open enough and are they kind enough and are they secure enough to be friends with my friends? And slowly over the, the course of many, many years, you guys have come to know each other right. Absolutely. As, as well, if not better, and connect even better than you connect with me. Right. And, you know, and it's the sorority of, you know, it's that circle of trust, I mm -hmm. should say, that we had because, you know, we had this really tight group of people who knew you could say what you wanted to say, you could do what you wanted to do, and it was going nowhere. To this day, you know, no, nothing has ever leaked mm -hmm. out from this group mm -hmm. about what was going on because we understood how important it was to guard your privacy. But that's the way it is with, you know, with your girlfriends that you trust, mm -hmm. whether they're first lady or they're yes. anybody. You know, I have girlfriends that, you know, honestly, that I would say, if I kill somebody, she would, <laughs> they would say, girl, let me get a shovel. Okay. <laughs> let's just, let's just go, you know. And, and, you know, I mean, because that, you know, and to be able to have that kind of relationship right. with somebody so. where, you know, I could say something really terrible and, you know, I don't mean it about mm -hmm. the person mm -hmm. like my husband, but, you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying, all right, I feel that way today. <laughs> right, right. But you know that you're mm -hmm. not going to sit there and look at him and say, mm, yeah, you're right. That's right. No, you just know that that's how it is. That's, that's the cycle right. of, yeah. of of how you're feeling and to let someone vent. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's an amazing pressure release because I can say it to you so I don't have to, to say, say it to, it to right. the person. Because, <laughs> really to because I, think you're, I think to you're right because you're still space. trying to protect him, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and all of this in terms of managing your emotions mm -hmm. and how you are feeling. To So you're not burdening him with it. You know, you mm -hmm. already had mm -hmm. the weight of the world, literally, mm -hmm. you know, on his yeah. shoulders. And so I think, I think you developed um, a plan. I mean, I think you took it as... You know, this is my job to figure out, mm -hmm. and um, in a healthy way. And yeah. it's a, and I'm telling you, it is a terrible place to be as a spouse when whatever it is that's bothering you mm -hmm. always seems petty. I know, right. compared right. to, to right. oh, right. I've just got to go solve Mitty's piece today, right. and it's like, well, did you pick? Did you leave that on the kitchen counter? I mean, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. it all means, you know, so you're like. <laughs> but, yeah, it. that's where your girlfriend group, and, again, th taking this away from the White House and from me in particular, I mean, the, the truth is is that we've all been that way with each other and with the women and women friends in our lives where 
you know, having a crew that you can go to and say whatever is on your mind and not be judged for it, give yourself a space to blow off some steam. This is why when I, I look at some of these reality TV, I have a love-hate relationship with it, but I, I never like the way they portray women friendships because they're always so catty and bickering and argumentative in ways that I have never experienced among my women friends ever. Um, and that has meant so much to me to have women who are secure enough to have friendships like that, that aren't possessive, but are, you know, they're broad and they're open and they're, you know, they're, they're inviting. You know, if I ever get to a point of friendship where I can't say, t tell the truth and know that the trust that we've built up can sustain whatever that truth or whatever that, maybe it isn't even, maybe it's my truth and it's not your truth, but, you know, if the friendship can't sustain that, then something else is wrong. And mm -hmm. at some point in time, it's going to come out. It's going to show itself. But you can't do that if you don't have trust. You know, you can't do that if you don't know that you can come back from it and that there's genuine love. You know, I know for me, the, the people that can get me riled up are people who I care deeply about. I have such wonderful friends in my life that it's, you know, I want as much for them as I want for me. But I feel like you all feel the same way. You know, I get that back. That's why these relationships have sustained themselves over so many years, because I feel like you guys have literally ridden and died with me. <laughs> That's what we do. What you got going on, I don't on, know. Kelly? I just had a moment. I'm I Kelly just had a moment. Had a moment. <laughs> and you know I have what my moment. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know yeah. what's the moment. We what? love you, Kelly. I know. Yeah. No, I just you know, I was thinking that your your girlfriends are kind of like the steady. Yeah. And even if your personal relationships are kind of going up and yeah. down. Mm -hmm. Um you guys have been my rock. Yeah. Yeah. For the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But isn't it amazing how quickly though the time has gone by? I'm oh, like, and you know, crazy. because I you know, I have always thought of myself as the new friend, like you relative <laughs> to and I'm like new. Wait a minute, that was thirteen years <laughs> I ago. Know. Exactly. <laughs> you know, new relative mm -hmm. to you know, we yeah. have sort of moved into a different category. And I tell you, and it is I, I mean can't tell you how many happy memories I have mm -hmm. of all the things collectively, mm -hmm. individually, yeah, you true. know, that we have had over these past, you know, 11 years. Yeah. A, a group of, of, of good girlfriends <laughs> provides a lifeline that is, is unlike any other. When we can lean on each other, when we can learn from each other and show up for one another, no matter what we're going through, that is how we grow. It's an evolution that happens not just day by day, but moment by moment, interaction by interaction. All of these little sparks of connection that build on one another. And together, they compose the magic of a life doesn't have to be anything flashy. It doesn't need to involve 
flash bulbs and red carpets. But those sparks we have with the people in our lives keep pushing us forward, keep helping us evolve, and keep helping us become even more of who we are. So I want to thank Kelly, Danielle, and Sharon for their time. But most of all, I want to thank all of you for for being here, for listening. These conversations couldn't be more important. Thanks again, everybody. I will talk to you again soon. More episodes here. Give us another bottle of that tequila. We can really go. The Michelle Obama Podcast is a Spotify original presented and produced by Higher Ground Audio in collaboration with Dustlight Productions. From Higher Ground Audio, Dan Fearman, Anna Holmes, and Mukta Mohan are executive producers. Janae Marable is our editorial assistant. Adam Sachs is our consulting producer. From Dustlight Productions, Misha Youssef is the executive producer. Arwen Nix and Jonathan Shiflett are the producers. Additional production support from Mary Knopf. Jonathan Shiflett is also our engineer. Manika Wilhelm is the archival producer and transcriber. Rachel Garcia is the Dustlight editorial assistant. Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, and Courtney Holt are executive producers for Spotify. Special thanks to Mackenzie Smith, Joe Paulson, Christina Shockey, Melissa Winter, China Clayton, Alex May, Caroline Adler-Morales, and Maron Heli-Mascal. And thanks to Clean Cut Studio, Search Party Music, Tyler Lechtenberg, Dylan Rupert, Carolyn Lipka, Young Creative Agency, and Diara Nazarian. Our theme music is by Stevie Wonder. Original music by Andy Clausen and Telly Fresco. The song you heard at the beginning of this show is Friends by East. Thanks for listening to the Michelle Obama podcast.